0: You're about to listen to a special preview edition of The Endgame featuring our very special guest, James Aitken of Aitken Advisors in the UK. Given the recent chaos in UK LDIs and the resultant fallout in sterling and gilt markets, I thought who better to explain to Bill and me not only what went wrong, but also why it has him deeply concerned about the market's plumbing. Nobody knows that plumbing better than James, so to hear him so animated about the state of play was a huge wake-up call. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, and Shifts Happen, is available to Copper and Silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the Silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go, Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now, on with the show. James, mate, welcome back to The Endgame. Uh, it wouldn't be The Endgame without you, I have to say that. There's, there's nobody who's, I think, got a keener eye on trying to figure what that is and what it looks like than you.
1: Well, it's good to see you both again, and uh, I just thought we should check in because there's more interesting developments going on, some of them bad, some of them unsettling, a lot of them good for the patient investors that are left in financial yeah. markets. And uh, look, I think I think as we've been chatting about over the past couple of weeks, this uh, pension fund debacle here in London and the United Kingdom, I think, has uh, focused the mind of a lot of people who've been using leverage for many years to keep up with the play. Uh, so perhaps well, we could yeah, yeah.
0: Let's kick off with that because I, I think yeah. the, the LDI thing has kind of everyone realizes it's a thing and everyone realizes yeah. now it's a problem. But I don't think people quite understand what kind of thing and what kind of problem it is. And, and you, you and I had lunch last week, and and you yeah. you kind of laid it out for me in no uncertain terms, and I and I felt a chill go down my spine once I understood it better. So perhaps we could start with that.
1: Yeah, and it's it's been around for a long time, but before we even get into LDI, let, let's think about the past decade. Alpha for a lot of people meant structured leverage. You know, if I'm going to keep up with the play, keep up with my benchmarks, keep up with my internal uh, annual return targets, you know, this mythical 7.5% number, then look, In a in a world where low rates are promised to continue forever, central banks are buying assets, you've got this thing called the portfolio balance effect. Well, you know what? I can't afford to be in cash. I can't afford to be defensive. i got to remain fully invested. And then the longer the cycle goes on, the more I might be tempted into leverage. But it's a serious point. For a lot of people, alpha equaled structured leverage. And, and I choose my uh, the structured word very carefully. So not structural, but structured, where you want to increase your exposure and returns to your chosen asset class. You're going to deploy a few derivatives, turbocharge it a bit, borrow a bit of money, simply to keep up with the play. And and to be very clear, in the hands of large, experienced buy-side firms who have invested millions of dollars in risk technology over the last decade, understand their collateral, their liquidity, it's no problem. But as you both know so well, risk always trickles down to the people who are least equipped to handle it, right? golden rule of finance. So to me, LDI was a metaphor for a lot of things people did. And and to be fair to the people that invested in these LDI programs, it actually made a lot of sense and it had its origins in an accounting change 20 years ago, right? So if you could provide a solution to uh, pension funds to help them minimize accounting risk, if you will, you know there was going to be a lot of demand for that. But starting a decade ago, people started asking questions about LDI. It's like, you know what? It makes a lot of sense now. There's a fair bit of leverage creeping into this. Are pension funds equipped operationally to manage the leverage, the operational side of this, yes or no? And everyone suspected that at some point if UK rates spiked for any reasons, there might be some problems in LDI schemes. Now, to skip forward for the benefit of our listeners, skip forward to the spring of 2022. Stories emerged. I mean, obviously, UK rates alongside other rates and guilt yields gone up a fair bit by the spring of 22. And stories started to emerge in the financial press. This is March, April this year, that certain LDI schemes, or should I say pension funds in the UK, were running through their collateral pools. In fact, some of them had run out of collateral to post this variation margin. You're thinking, well, that doesn't sound terribly good. And then in June and July, a couple of asset consultants, Aon and Mercer, were advising pension schemes. You really need to address your liquidity because for accounting reasons, these hedges you have, and let's be clear, the hedges were against rates falling, which would have made pension deficits worse. If you want to sustain these hedges, You've got to post more collateral. You need more liquidity. So watch out, watch out. So these stories are out there, and then more of them emerged in August, and you knew things were getting a bit tight. You knew in August that things are getting tight. You could see the pressure on gilts and everything else, and then along comes Trustnomics. And the point I'd like to make is that a lot of people have been wondering about LDI and the leverage in it for a long time a lot of people had been wondering what would happen if uk rates spiked for any reason a lot of people were wondering where pension funds who for obvious reasons don't carry liquidity buffers because it'd be such a drag on return you know what would happen if they all had to pony up a lot of variation margin for any reason and really the uh, i'll say genius somewhat sarcastically of trustnomics is that it brought forward i think the reckoning for these LDI schemes, it was something that was probably going to happen at some point. It's just that it was brought forward by this hopeless, hopeless effort from trusts and Core uh, when they tried to deliver their fiscal statement. So that's that's the background. People were looking at it for a long time, and and then the question becomes: well, What actually happened in technical terms? And it's it's, it's really quite simple. It sounds strange. But what were they, why were these UK pension funds uh, selling so many assets? Well, there's two reasons. Firstly, they were trying to meet variation margin calls. So they got these long-dated structural hedges, and to be clear again, these long-dated structural hedges are largely accounting hedges to minimise any pension fund's exposure to falling rates. They therefore have a large accounting value, if you will, even though they're further out of the money. So pending an emergency meeting of the pension fund trustees, these guys say, oh, gosh, what do I need to do to maintain that hedge? I need to come up with the variation margin because this is moving out of the money, right? Oh, gosh, I don't have cash. Oh, gosh, I'm going to raise cash by selling what? The one thing I do have, gilts, linkers, short-term sterling debt, Aussie, AAA, RMBS, anything that was liquid, I'm like, I'm going to tap it out to try and raise cash, which is what they did. And you had all sorts of fire sales of relatively liquid assets. But, of course, Grant, the problem is if you're trying to post gilts and gilts are falling in value, then for margin purposes, it's like trying to fill a leaky bucket yeah. because you're pouring more and more gilts into it and the, your counterparty is saying, more please, more please, because you're trying to keep it on, a, on an even keel and it's not working. So it was a very pernicious um feedback loop that was underway. And it took for the Bank of England to step in to smooth things over, to give everyone time to sort of regroup and think about where they were at. And a fair play to the Bank of England, their intervention was pretty effective. And we can talk about that as well. But look, it was a, at one level, people had been waiting for this smash up for a long time. At another level, they were a bit unlucky. But again, it's another reminder that Often the plumbing is really important and that if you can't come up with the variation margin to post to your counterparty, then you need to flog other things. Uh, And it became quite a crash up, quite a smash up indeed. But then the flip side is this distressed selling, this margin call, if you will, on pension schemes provided a phenomenal opportunity for other patient investors to pick up great bits and pieces of paper, Um, gilts, Linkers, short dated sterling credit, AAA RMBS, the AAA tranches of CLOs, you know, uh, various bits of US dollar securitizations, you know, for the quick hands that were prepared for this, you know, it's always a story of finance. Someone's deleveraging; someone else at the right price will be buying. So there was a risk transfer, if you will, of certain pieces of collateral from somewhat weak hands to the stronger patient capital, um, you know, very high caliber credit and fixed income investors, but it was a brutal process, very unsettling for markets. And um, as much as the near-term LDI leveraging may be complete, I think this episode has really important read-through for other forms of levered duration or other forms of structured, structured leverage that may be out there.
0: Well, let's talk about that, James, because that's it, it, a perfect way to describe what happened. And I, and I think that will help a lot of people understand mm. why it was mm. so, why it was such a waterfall. And to your point, you, you can see how quickly it stabilized that people were quite happy to take on some of that collateral on their own books. But yeah. When you and I had lunch, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about this. And it, it was clear mm. to me that your concerns about how wide this might go rather than how deep it might go were significant. So let's talk yeah. about how this spreads out and, and what kind of a problem it could be. Let's think, the question I've been
1: getting from my clients for the past month and a half has been, oh, what else out there looks like LDI? And and my response, which is a tiny bit cheeky, but only a tiny ge- che- bit cheeky, is the better question ought to be, what out there doesn't yeah, right. look like LDI? Because As we went through the last decade, everything had a bit of a whiff of structured leverage. It's how people kept up with the play. People had to do what they did. And and again, in the right hands, there's no problem with structured leverage. Uh, The incentives were there for the pension funds and everything else. But everything has a bit of a whiff of structured leverage. And it's not just structured leverage exposure.
0: The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.